Well, it is a new year, and we're going to start uh, with a message for the new year this year. I don't always do this, but I am going to do it this year. Bill Vaughn wrote this when it comes to the new year. Consider who you are. He says, an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in. The pessimist stays up to make sure the old year leaves. Which, which one are you? Are you the, the, the optimist? You're excited in the faith for a brand new start and for a, a new beginning to begin again? Or are you the pessimist when it comes to New Year's and new beginnings? Are you pessimistic about your faith and your life? Because you've been under a lot of suffering this past year, maybe. Maybe you've experienced a lot of life, a loss and a lot of doubt. Maybe you've even wondered whether really growing and changing and being transformed can really happen. Is that you today? Do you find yourself maybe even indifferent to what I have to say? This is just another Sunday, even though it's New Year's Sunday. I'm groggy, I'm just getting here. I know I showed up, but boy, uh, there's no light in the attic, you know? I'm here, but I'm barely here. Are you just trying to survive? How many would say they're just trying to survive, maybe with self-medication or, or keeping the pain dull because you've lost real hope for change or growth or success? Those kinds of notions have kind of slipped away because you've just had too much failure. You've had too much moral failure, relational failure, life failure, dream failure, relationship failure. Is that you this morning? Do you feel like God's just distanced? And he's just not really paying attention to you because of that failure. And maybe because, yeah, you just don't believe with the zeal you once did believe. Wow. You know, sometimes we even run into folks that think that a better life, a blessed life, is not real and it's not authentic. In fact, People don't really live that. That's just kind of a fake thing and a myth that Christians promote. That you can actually grow. That you can actually be happy. That you can actually be successful. Wow, that's kind of a, a cynicism that's been around, but it's kind of making its, it's showing its face in this day and age right now again. That, oh, that's just not real. That's just fake. That's just a myth. I hope that's not you this morning. I hope that's not you this morning. But whatever your state in this morning is that you come, I want you to know something. There is a God in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. There is a creator of all. There is a designer. He has revealed himself through his son Jesus who's come to earth. We just celebrated communion in recognition of that. It's his son Jesus. And the good news is, is that the God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, wants you and me to be blessed. Know that. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be successful. In fact, the Bible says, and Paul echoed this to us in Ephesians, that we are works of art, a creation of the Lord, created to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. They're good. That's what he intends, good. That's why Jesus came, for good, for blessing, for happiness, for success, for righteousness, 
That's why he came. So I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not over. I don't know how unsuccessful you've been. That kicker for Ohio State that missed that last second field goal, he's going to kick again. Because it's not over. He is next year. Hopefully, unless he was a senior. I don't know. Does anybody know? Yeah. Oh, he was? Yeah. Well, God bless him. He doesn't get to start over. Because <laughs> he's not kicking in the NFL. So, right? I don't know. It might have been the holder's fault, too. We never know. But I'm here to tell you it's not over. God is telling you it's not over. I have plans for your life. I'm about to do something new in you because the Lord is present. And he wants new things to happen for you. He wants you to change this year. He wants you to find more healing this year. He wants you to experience enduring growth and success. Those things are possible. But they're not a given. But they're possible for you and me. So today, guess what? You can start over if you want to. Today, you and I can both start over. We can start fresh. We can start anew. We really can. That's not a pipe dream. That's not just being a positive thinker. It's, to tr it's the truth. Today, you and I can follow God's Holy Spirit, and we can follow him through a tried and true process for starting over. The Bible gives us insight for this, these kinds of things. Regardless of our failures, regardless of where we haven't been or what we have, where we haven't grown, look at failure is never final. It's not, unless you want it to be. You can start over if you follow a simple process that God lays out in his word because he wants you happy. He wants you blessed. He wants you successful. So let's take a look at God's word this morning. If you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, because indeed your Bible is your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. So turn with me to Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is the very first psalm in Israel's prayer guidebook. It's a psalm that comes first. It has priority in this prayer book. It's a place to start again in pursuing God. So I want you to read with me this prayer or this this psalm and it really does set the tone for our lives it sets the tone for our relationships in fact this psalm could be entitled the truly happy person the truly happy believer the truly happy man the truly happy woman or young person because it depicts for us the blessedness and happiness of the righteous believer over in contrast to the wicked. So I want you to read with me the way to be blessed. Starting with Psalm 1. Let's read together in verse 1. Blessed or happy is the one, and some of your, your scriptures will say man, but no, it means all believers. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, See, I've memorized it in another version, so sometimes I read it differently. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And in whatever they do, it prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. 
Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked, it leads to destruction. Kind of a heavy song. But a great song. And really an optimistic song. So this morning we want to take a look at what the psalm can teach us. And we're going to use an acrostic. It's basically the letters of the word, and all the letters stand for something. And this acrostic is just start. If you want to start over, you've got to start. If you want to experience success and blessedness and happiness, you have to start. And so let's begin looking at the scripture, and let's begin following through this godly process for starting over and starting fresh. Okay, so the first thing is, is this psalm begins by describing in a negative way the common human tendency that people have of getting off track and falling into sin. And you know that we do that, don't you? We have a tendency to be going the right way, staying on the straight and narrow, and then we kind of veer, or we detour. That's why everybody shows up at the Y until what? Until into February or the middle of February, and then you don't, it's crickets. Because people tend to, after so many weeks, they fall off the bandwagon. And they, can, they, they kind of fall into a, a rut because they don't have a clear process for growth and change that's godly. But we can today. So there's a human tendency that people have for getting off track, for falling into sin, becoming sour, becoming sorrowful. And, and this is a way that happy, blessed people don't take and they don't fall into. Happy, blessed, righteous people don't go down this road. But a lot of us do go down this road. Verse 1 uses three verbs. Are you ready? You want to circle them in your Bible if you do stuff like that. And the first one is walk. Those who walk in the way of sinners, then who, those who stand, or those who walk, excuse me, those who st stay in step or walk in step with the wicked. And then those who walk or stand in the way of sinners. And then those who sit in the seat of mockers. Okay? So it's walk, stand, sit. And it shows a progression. It's a path. And it's a path that can be the undoing of the wicked person, but a righteous person will not take. This path keeps us from growing in righteousness. This path keeps us in a perpetual cycle where we never move forward, where we always have to start over again and again. Because we have a human tendency. Think about that. Do you have that human tendency? Do you have that human tendency? Do you find yourself keeping in step with the wicked? Because you listen to the culture, to the world, and you spend a lot of time there, rather than in God's word, or with God's people, or in prayer, or in the church. Do you find yourself being affected negatively because you stay in step too much? Do you find yourself beginning to stand there you no longer are staying in step. You're standing now in it. You're in that way, and then you find yourself relaxing and sitting. You find yourself there. If a person walks in the step with the wicked, it's going to lead them to changing their location. It will, ultimately. It'll lead you to change your location physically, mentally, relationally, and spiritually, so you'll be located now on the path that sinners take. 
not the path that the righteous take. So it's important to note that. See, because this path that sinners take will eventually lead you to, to not just walking or keeping in step, but to standing, and then it will lead to sitting, and you'll be anchored there in your attitude, your mindset, and your lifestyle, which will be an attitude, mindset, and lifestyle of the enemy of righteousness. And that's what it's trying to tell us. Be mindful of that, righteous person. Know that. These ways are out there. Don't take them. And at a new year, we've got to see that. Now, I want to define a word for you. Righteousness. It's kind of a great word, right? And it deals with the, and this is kind of a, like, duh, definition of righteousness. You can write this in your notes, because a lot of this stuff won't be, you kept the PowerPoint simple, it won't be on the PowerPoint. But this word righteousness is defined as the character or quality of being right or just. The character or quality of being right or just. Pretty simple. So what or who is right? That's the obvious next question. What or who is just? The Greek word used here has really kind of two components. And you want to write these components down because they're important. The first component of the word that, that's involved, or this notion that's involved in righteousness or right, is having the freedom to act. We all have freedom to act. But then it also has a notion of the authority for action, or the authority to act. We all have free will, we all have free choice, we all have the ability to do so many different things, don't we? I can do things that are righteous. I can do things that are wicked. I have the capability to do that. I have the freedom of action. So I can use my body or my mind or my abilities any way I want to, in a lot of different ways. But do I have, or by what authority, do I base my authority for action so that I act right? That's the first, this is the first truth of God. God lays that foundation. He exercised this foundation through his son, Jesus, on earth. God has the freedom to act, and he has the authority for action. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A very clear, simple, and narrow verse that declared not only do I have the freedom to act and to create and to judge, but I have the authority as well to create, to act, to judge. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all others from Jesus, from God, all others, whether parents or children, whether husbands or wives, teachers or students, bosses or employees, whether spiritual leaders or congregates, all of us owe our freedom to act and our authority for action to God and to his will and to his design. He's the one who has authority. He's the one who knows what's right and just. He's the one who has established it. And he's the only one with the right to establish it because he's the one with authority to establish it. 
Are you with me? You with me? It's so important. And, and, and the authority of our life or the righteousness of our life is based on that. So if the creator of the universe calls you righteous, you're righteous. If the creator of the universe calls you wicked, you're wicked. Because you're not operating according to design. There's no one else who can judge like that. And no other word that can judge like that. Early on in my life, before I knew Jesus, the very first VBS I ever went to, I learned Hebrews 4.12. Once I heard it, it was stuck in my heart. I could never forget it. For the word of God is living and active. And it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It is able to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. I learned right away who the authority in life was. I didn't accept it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know that God really was living or his word was living until much later. But that was the truth. And that truth stayed with me. That's where our authority for action comes from. And I often marveled that I did many wicked things in the parking lot of that church where I first learned that verse when I was older. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so interesting how that works. And how the evil one tries to take from you what God has sown in your heart. So here I am to tell you, you and I choose what and who we serve and whose authority we submit to. Wouldn't you agree? We all choose. It's our choice. Who we serve and what or whose authority we submit to. Say amen to that because that's true. It's so true. Therefore, the first step in our Psalm 1 process for being blessed and happy and successful is this. You ready? Stop making excuses. That's the first one. Stop making excuses and stop blaming circumstances that you have in your life for your present state of your life or your faith. Stop making excuses. The Bible says, happy is the man or happy is the person. You notice it didn't say happy is the king, happy is the super intellectual, happy is the, the wealthy, happy is the super spiritual. It said happy is the person, happy is the man. Righteousness is available to anyone. You don't have to get a, uh, you don't have to have a high SAT to be able to be righteous. You don't. Nor does having a high SAT keep you from being a wicked person. No. We've got to stop making excuses and blaming other people and circumstances for our present state of our life and our faith. We have to start becoming honest until we're honest with ourselves, until we're honest with God, until we know where we're really at. We can't get out of the seat of the mocker and off the path of the evil one we're on. We're going to stay stuck. If you and I want a fresh start in life, I have to stop making excuses for my failures. We all have them. We all think that we have grown up in the worst situation possible. Or if only if we had it differently, we would be better, richer, smarter, more successful. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's not, it's not relevant even. 
to our situation. And I can remember thinking that many times about things, and you thought it too. But it's not the truth. I've got to stop blaming other people. I've got to start seeing my, and stop seeing myself as a victim of my circumstances. Other people are not the cause of my failure. Other people can hurt us. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been abused. Some of us have been lied about and have had our reputations misrepresented. Have you ever had that happen? Some of us say, yeah, I've had that happen when I was younger in school. Have you ever had that happen as an adult? Oh, yeah. I see people shaking their heads, yes. So, we can experience those things. We can even be abandoned by other people in our times of need. Were you ever abandoned? You know, if you grew up in the 70s, you were sexually abandoned. You had parents that never talked to you about, about sex at all. You had to learn it all on your own. And maybe you had to do that too in the 90s and the 2000s and whatever. So that you, you, you fell into trouble or they didn't talk to you about other things. You were abandoned. You were, you were just left to learn on your own. Or they just weren't there for you in your time of need. And we've all had that. But I'm here to tell you something. You always have the ability to choose. That's what Viktor Frankl found out when he was in a Nazi training camp. No matter what they do to me, they can never take one thing away from me. My ability to choose my attitude in any given state or circumstances, that's within my power. You know it's within your power? And he proved it in that camp. I hope you've discovered that too. Nobody can ruin your life without permission. Nobody. You have a choice. And you choose how you're going to respond to situations and hurts that happen in your life. You have a choice on whether you can overcome those things, whether you can see the path out. You get focused on the rocks in the river, and you're floating down it, you're going to hit every single one of them. But if you keep your eyes focused on the path through them, you'll never touch one of them. And you'll make it through. We get hung up on what other people do all the time and want to blame them for our situation if only, if only. It's not true. It's not true. You and I can choose who we're going to listen to. Are we going to listen to God? Are we going to listen to people we can trust? Or are we going to listen to liars? You and I choose who we're going to partner with. Am I going to partner with somebody who has a track record of honesty and success and peace in their life and health in their life, or am I going to partner with somebody who might make a billion dollars, but, they, but they've got kids, you know, I just discovered as I was trying to do a trivia contest for the new year about this one person who's an MC on one of the major shows on TV right now, he has 12 kids that he had in the last year. You don't have 12 kids from one wife, right? But a lot of people listen to people like that. Oh, they speak the truth. Oh, they speak my language. But their life is a train wreck. Who are you going to choose to listen to? Who are you going to choose to partner with? And what path are you going to go down? What path? The Bible says that the starting point for anyone is to be honest and to accept responsibility for your part in the problem. We all have it. We all have a part in the problem. We all have a part in why we haven't grown or why we haven't been happy or why we haven't been successful and we've been experiencing failure. 
Proverbs 28, 13 tells us this, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Own your stuff. Own your baggage. Don't make it somebody else's fault. It, you won't go anywhere that way, I'm telling you. It doesn't go, we, none of us go anywhere that way. Own your stuff. You had a choice on how you chose to respond to that person. And I say it with a lot of zeal because I had a lot of anger and bitterness and hurt toward different people throughout my life. And I wanted to blame them for it. It does no good. And it only controls you and hurts you and keeps you down. You just keep hitting rocks. So the Bible says, when you conceal and open up your mind and you accept responsibility and you confess these things, you're going to find mercy. You get another chance. You can start over now. You can start afresh now. Proverbs, 1 and Psalm, Proverbs and Psalm 1 tell us that the starting point to starting over is to be honest and to face up to your problems. This is the way you're in if you're in trouble. <clears throat> and you put yourself there by your choices. Okay? So most of the problem in your life, most of your failures have more to do with you and your choices, not other people. So the question is, who am I putting my trust in? And that's causing me to respond. So we've got to stop making those excuses. Amen? And stop focusing on those things, and we can get off that path. So that's the first step for starting over, is being honest. Quit making excuses and confessing. You're part of it, owning it. Now you can start over. Now you know where you really are, but you may not know that quite yet, because here's the second point. It leads us to the second point in the process. The happy, blessed, successful person, they take inventory of their life. They sit down and actually evaluate their life. The blessed believer doesn't do certain things, and there is a way he or she will not walk, and there's a path that he or she will not stand in, in a, in a place where he or she will not sit. The righteous believer and the ungodly person have different ways that they think, different ways that they behave, and different ways to whom, and different people to whom they belong. Therefore, in taking inventory of your life, you've got to ask some questions. And here are some of them. You can write this in your notes. They're good. Who am I walking in step with in my life? Who am I walking in step with in my relationships, in my work, in my ministry? Whom am I walking in step with? Think about that. The wicked... Bad company, the world, and my culture, am I, am I walking in step with those things? Or is it the, the Holy Spirit of God? Is it the Word of God? Is it the accountability of people God's placed in my life? Am I walking in step with them? With that spouse God's given me, or that parent, or that brother or sister, or, or that teacher, that boss, that coach, that friend, that pastor? Am I walking in step with them? Whom am I? Here's another question. Where am I standing right now? What am I standing on? What foundation am I standing on in all areas in relationships that I've already mentioned? We have to evaluate that. What foundation am I standing on? Is it shifting sand? Or is it a foundation that's true and strong? 
What foundation am I standing on? And then three, finally, where have I sat down in rebellion? We allow ourselves to be rebellious and to stay in rebellion. We do, we tolerate it oftentimes and we think it's kind of cute and kind of fun. I know what's right. I know the direction God wants me to go. I know what he wants me to do, but I've been ignoring it and rejecting it because I feel like I have the freedom to do that. You do have the freedom to do that, but you do not have the authority to do that. And you'll pay a price for that. I'll pay a price for that. So the question is, is where have I sat down in rebellion? Because that's the way of the world. And do you realize that the scripture doesn't say this nonchalantly? It says rebellion is as and like the sin of witchcraft. It places you and me under the influence of the evil one and demonic influences. Why would I do that if I'm trying to be free of them? They only keep me in bondage. So where have I sat down in rebellion? And how can God get me out of that? So taking inventory may lead to more bad news than good, and we feel like that might be the case, but don't be discouraged because no one has to stay there. It's a way out. It's, it's part of understanding where you're at. We've got to be honest and stop blaming ourselves, and then we've got to take inventory and know where we're really at and know that God doesn't want us to stay there, nor does he intend for us to stay there. Remember, God wants us to be happy and blessed. However, this step will lead to more revelation and truth, it will lead to more confession that needs to be made, and it will lead to more healing. So it's very, very important. James 5, 16 instructs us, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So you become righteous, the Bible says, if you confess. Because then, the, according to 1 John 1, 9, if he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you confess and come clean, he washes you clean, you become righteous, and your prayers are effective. Well, the prayers of others in your life that you've confessed to, they're effective in your life as well. So take inventory. Allow other trusted believers to be a part of that process. We really do need to do that in this day and age. We need each other. Don't allow your pride to keep you from allowing others to speak into your life. Knowing pride goes before a fall. But with humility, there is wisdom. And in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. So don't just be your own counselor. Don't just be, you know, your own mind. Let other people speak into it. Proverbs 15, 2. Amen. I'm telling you, uh, John sent me a little clip of, um, of some, a pack of, of buffalo, African buffalo. And uh, there was a mighty male lion there. You know, mighty male lion, they're top dog on the predator list. But even a group of pack animals that aren't predators can handle a mighty lion if they stick together. And they were kicking this lion's rear end, throwing him to kingdom come and goring him and I think he was having enough of it because they stuck together. That's what we have to do as believers. We are pack animals, and we're made that way. We need each other. So let others help you in this inventory. Well, here's the third thing that we have to do. According to our psalm, this phrase, the, the, Lord, the law of the Lord, it's used to describe God's entire word. And so we've got to act in faith to receive God's word 
and to receive his promises to us. So not only do you stop making excuses, not only do you take inventory of your life and be honest about where you're at, next you've got to act in faith to receive God's word and promises to you. And that, those promises are in his word. They're not only in the first five books of the Bible, it's not only the law there, but the righteous person delights in the word of God through and through. So how do you delight in the word of God? Because that's what the scripture says, but blessed is the man, but those who delight in the law of the Lord, they're gonna be blessed. And so how do you do that? How do you delight in his word? Well, you ponder it. You don't just hear it and forget about it. You ponder it. In Eastern meditation, and it's really teaching us how to meditate. In Eastern meditation, you empty your mind of all things. But you don't want to do that in Christian and biblical meditation. Because to do that and empty your mind of all things is to invite deceivers in or even demonic influences in. Meditation in the church and in Christ is to fill your mind with things. And what do you fill it with? You fill it with God's word. So you take time not just to read it. The Bible here doesn't tell us that those who read God's word will be blessed. It doesn't tell us that those who study God's word necessarily will be blessed. It doesn't tell us that those who memorize God's word will be blessed. It doesn't tell us that those who listen to preaching or podcasts on God's word will be blessed. This scripture here tells us that blessed is the man who meditates, or woman, who meditates on God's word day and night, for they shall be. And they get a blessing. So it's teaching us about meditation. Meditation, we chew those words. We chew the concepts. We chew over the, the, the truths of a verse or a passage. We go word by word and phrase by phrase. We seek to get all the nutrients from it, all the blessings, all the insights, all the treasures that are, are, are housed there. And, and we mull over them, and we move them from our head into our hearts, and then into our lives. See, that's the way the godly bring forth good fruit. Believers will lack blessing, spiritual fruit, power, wisdom, because they only read God's word and then forget about it. Or they only come and listen to God, the word preached, but never read it or meditate on it. You miss it. Only reading is good. It, it's a step, but it doesn't do us the good that God desires. It doesn't nourish our souls. It doesn't change our hearts. It doesn't give us the power and the fruit of the Spirit. So this verse 3, it contains a promise here that we've alluded to that comes from meditation. And it's a promise to believers who delight in God's word and meditate on it. And it says this, this person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I just marvel at that. Everybody says, I want to be happier in the new year. <clears throat> I want to be happier. I want to be more blessed. I want to be more successful then we don't start where scripture tells us to start. I discovered in high school, to be a better football player, I had to meditate on God's word. I did. I actually prayed and had my teammates praying. And we would ask each other, are you praising Jesus? 
as we were standing at the line, and they'd go, yeah, praise Jesus. You know, are you claiming his promises? We'd, we'd say stuff like that. And we had the best record we ever had. We played our best when our mind was blown on the word of God. We hit the hardest. We, we were the smartest as we kept our minds set on him. You think that's funny, because it is funny. But it's the truth. That's the way life is to be led. You want to be a better parent? Start meditating on God's word. Don't just read it, but meditate upon it and do it daily. You want to be better at your job? Meditate on God's word. You want to be better in your ministry? Meditate upon God's word. And let, let, let your increase be seen by all. They'll see it. They'll feel it. They'll get it. There's a promise there, prosperity. We think investing in silver or investing in stocks is what leads us to prosperity. No, invest in God's word and invest his word in your heart. Let it ritually dwell within you. And the Bible promises whatever you do will prosper. Does that mean that you're going to be a rich person? No, because that's not prosperity. There was one person who said the wealth of a person can be determined by the things they can do without or live without. I agree. Prosperity has to do with your soul and your spirit and your relationships and the things that are eternal. Because what, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Were you prosperous? No. You might have been rich and lived in a mansion, but you only did it for a few short years. I'm going to live there eternally, are you? Amen. And I'm going to have family that loves me and, and, and children that trust me and honor me. And I'm going to be honoring them too. And they're going to have a father that can say he's sorry and he's wrong. And would you forgive me? Do you see the blessedness of that? That's where prosperity comes from. Not in the material things that we seem to love in this life and in our culture. So if you want to be more prosperous, meditate. You want to be happier, more successful, meditate on his word. Do it. Act in faith to delight and meditate on God's word. Do it daily. And that's where you have to act in faith. You've got to do it even when you don't feel it. You've got to do it because it's true even when it's not easy. You've got to put it first when everything else wants to be first. You've got to put it first. And as you put it first, you're going to receive the blessings of his promise because you put his kingdom first and you can take that promise to the bank. I'm telling you. Any day putting God's word first will be better than any other day. And, and what I mean in the area of pros prosperity and the ability to be able to meet any challenge that comes your way. Well, there are two more. Once you act in faith to apply God's word and to receive his promises by meditating on his word, the scripture gives us one more thing. Henry Ward Beecher wrote this. Every man should be born again on the first day of January. I'd say every woman too. Start with a fresh page. Take up one more hole or one more hole in that buckle. I don't know if I could do that. Or let one out if, you know, depending on the circumstances. That's what I would do. But on the first of January, let every man gird himself and woman, gird himself once more with his or her face to the front and take no interest in the things that were and are past. That's something that we have to learn if we're going to start again and start over. 
quit thinking about the past. Amen? There's a reason we have a bigger front windshield than rearview mirror. Because we're supposed to be focused this way as we drive, not on where we've been. Amen? So the Bible tells us in more than one place to forget what was behind and look for the future because I'm doing something new. That means, you know, you're not, you, you know, you're, you're putting in perspective what's happened in the past by stop blaming and, and by taking inventory of your life and then acting in faith you're, to receive God's promises and word. You are dealing with the past, but now it's time to forget it. Our coaches used to tell us in football, and especially through college, you know what the most important play is? The next one. So if you made a mistake, you screwed up, forget about it and move on. Because how many guys in athletics, whether it be any sport, they make a mistake and then they make two more that hamper their team? Drives me nuts. Because they haven't learned how to focus on the next play. They're stuck still on the, the, the play that's past. And so they're locked in it. And what happens when you focus on the past? You repeat it. So it's such a parable. Every time you see the athlete, you watch athletics today and you'll watch certain guys, they'll make a mistake and then they'll make one or two more because they're focused on the past. We can't be believers like that. We've got to quit focusing on the past. We've got to put it in its place. We've got to repent of it, confess it. Now we've got to move on. We've got to move to the future. And if there's still something there that you haven't gotten real about, God will let you know and you can confess it again. But keep moving to the future because you don't want to repeat. Or we're going to repeat what we're focused on, won't we? We'll keep doing the same old thing again. But you've got to let it go. You've got to put it to rest. You've got to kill it. You've got to move on from it. Last thing. The very last thing we do in all of this process. And it's so simple. Trust in Jesus and his faithfulness. Put your trust in him and his faithfulness. Hold on to him tightly and yourself loosely. Hold on to him. Trust in him. Trust in him to take his word and work it deep into your heart and life. Trust in him to make that change and bear that fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goodness, self-control, and faithfulness. I got it kind of in order. Let those fruits of the fruit of the spirit, let them come forward in your life. Amen? Trust in Jesus. And trust in his faithfulness. He's faithful. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake him. Practice the presence of God. And practice knowing that he's faithful. And he won't leave you. He's here with you now. Practice that. As we conclude this morning, A.W. Tozer said this. As we conclude on the first day of the year, he said this. I do not advise that we end the year on a somber note. I've said some heavy things today. But remember what Tozer said. He goes, the march, not the dirge, has ever been the music of Christians. We have a triumphant song. Because God is Lord and good. And he wants our happiness and our blessing and our success. If we are good students in the school of life, there is much that this year has had to teach us. But the Christian is more than a student, 
more than a philosopher, he is a believer. And the object of his faith makes the difference, all the difference, and a mighty difference. Of all persons, the Christian should be best prepared for whatever the new year brings. He or she has dealt with life as it, at its source, which is in relationship with God Almighty. In Christ, they have disposed of a thousand enemies that other people must face alone and unprepared. But we are not alone. We have the Lord and we have each other. The follower of Jesus can face his or her tomorrow cheerfully and unafraid because yesterday they have turned their feet into the ways of peace and today they live in God. We're no longer on the path of wickedness or the way of sinner. The person, young or old, who has made God his or her dwelling place and his word will always have a safe habitation. And that is so true. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be more successful this year. We really can start over if we will choose to. Stand with me and let's pray together. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we stand, I pray that you, Lord God, would speak this word into our hearts deeply. I pray, Lord God, that we would just not hear this message and read this passage here and then go on into our day and week and forget about it. God, help us to meditate upon it. God, help us to remember that the best time to meditate on your word according to your word in Psalm 1 is day and night. God, may we constantly dwell in your word and in you. May you occupy the throne and center of our heart and minds and thoughts. Lord, grow in that and grow us this year. God, show us that there is hope. Show us that you are good. Show us that more happiness and blessedness and success can be there for us in every area of our life as we look to you and follow this way, this process that you've laid out for us. We love you, Lord Jesus, and together we give you praise and blessing, and we look forward, oh, we look forward to the great surprise that 2023 is going to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, amen. 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 Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Go get them. Now, this morning, if you'd like to also ask the Lord if he'd like you to do this, you're welcome to do it. You don't feel, have to feel coerced. But we're tearing down some of this Christmas stuff, and we're packing it and putting it away. If you'd like to stick around and help us with that, we'd love to have you help. But if not, Lord bless you, and have a great new year. Amen. But if the Lord so speaks to your heart, stick around. Amen? Are there any other announcements? Men's breakfast is coming. See the back table. Sign up. Bring some good casseroles. Anything else?